It's time to put on your sleuthing cap, feel nail-biting dread, and face heart-racing fear. This is Queer Writers of Crime, where you'll get book recommendations and hear interviews with LGBTQ authors of mystery, suspense, and thriller novels. Here's your host, Brad Shreve. Hello, Philip. Hey, Brad. How are you? I'm doing very well. Do you know what month this is? Um, do I? <laughs> it's August. Yes, and you know what that means. I'm going to take a stab in the dark, but I believe this is your August book recommendation. <laughs> it certainly is. Thank you so much for reminding oh, me of that. I'm a genius. <laughs> I'm a genius. I hope you have something ready. I think I do. Yeah, of course I do. Of course I do. Okay, okay. What are you going to hit us with today? Well, let me tell you that, you know, I had to sort of go back and take a look at your tagline. And, you know, your tagline is Queer Writers of Mystery, Suspense, and Thriller Novels. And if anybody's been paying attention, since I've been doing reviews here on Queer Writers of Crime, I have really focused 100% on classic mystery novels. So today is a little bit of a switch. I am going to focus on um, what I would call a suspense and thriller novel. And on top of that, it's going to be um, what I consider to be a classic novel as well. So the name of the book is called Hold Tight, and it's by Christopher Bram. So Christopher Bram has had nine novels. He's written nine novels in the course of his life. Um, it's His subject matter has ranged from gay life in the 1970s to the career of a Victorian musical clairvoyant to the frenetic or excuse me, to the frantic world of theater people in contemporary New York. And then um, I got a really great quote here from uh, a novelist, Philip Gambone, who wrote of his work, what is most impressive in Bram's fiction is the psychological and emotional accuracy with which he portrays his characters. His novels are about the ordinary people trying to be decent and good in a morally compromised world. And both of those statements are really found in this book. So uh, Bram is probably most famous for his 1995 novel, Father of Frankenstein, which was about the film director James Whale from the early 20th century. Uh, it was made into a movie in 1998 called Gods and Monsters, starring Ian McKellen, Lynn mm -hmm. Redgrave, and Brendan Fraser. Brad, you know that movie, right? Yes, I do. Yeah, so it was really a great movie. If you haven't seen it, or if it's been a long time since you've seen it, um, McKellen just does a fantastic job, and so did the other two as well. Bram was made a Guggenheim Fellow in 2001. He's a multiple nominee for Lambda Literary Awards for Gay Fiction, and um, he won for um, Lives of the Circus Animals, his book Lives of the Circus Animals. And then in May of 20, 2003, he received the Bill Whitehead Award for Lifetime Achievement from Publishing Triangle. And in his in 2013, his book, Eminent Outlaws, The Gay Writers Who Changed America, won the organization's Randy Schultz Award. And I do want to mention just at one point, uh, just for a moment, um, his book, uh, Eminent Outlaws, is one of my favorite nonfiction books. Uh, basically, what Bram does is he goes back through the entire 20th century, pretty much starting from mid-20th century, but there are some earlier works as well. And he chronicles all of the gay men who wrote novels about gay life or about um, homosexuality from that period all the way through till the early 21st century. And the phenomenal thing about this book is that it's a great re reference book for people. It's a great way for people to start to get an understanding of how we got to where we are today with literature. And what I would love to see in the very near future is I would love to see 
every aspect of our rainbow community. I'd love to see an author come forward and do a similar book so that we could have a series of books. We could have, um, you know, a lesbian book that is about the great, great lesbian writers. We could have the great trans writers who changed America. We could have the great bisexual writers, non-binary writers. And I really think that he's really created a blueprint with this book. And I loved it so much. I've used it for some programs I've done at the library. Um, and I've read it over and over again. So uh, that's just a little plug for his nonfiction book. Um, and then I always love to bring requeered tales in here when I can. Um, and so he, Christopher actually wrote the, um, the foreword for the, for the requeered tales book, Stan Leventhal's Mountain Climbing in Sheridan Square, which is a fantastic book. I read it when it got uh, re-released from requeered tales. Bram lives in Greenwich Village. He also teaches at um, New York University. So um, he, and then one final thing, and then I positive I'm going to jump into the novel at this point. So I just want to give one sort of final thing. So he and his husband, Draper Shreve, are frequent dinner guests at the home of our dear mutual friends, Mark Owen and Neil Thies in New York City. So I've had the pleasure over the last 15 years or so of having dinner with he and Draper a number of times. And I can tell you that he is uh, one of the most genuinely um, unassuming, super intelligent, sweet guys you could ever imagine. So I'm just so thrilled to be talking about his novel tonight. So Hold Tight was his second novel, which when you read it, you're kind of like, wow, he was doing this kind of work in 1988 in his second novel. It is, as I mentioned, a thriller novel. It's also really a spy novel and and also some historical fiction because it takes place in America in 1942. So the book opens with a young woman named Anna and her father, who is a projectionist in the theater, in a movie theater in Manhattan in New York City. And it's the middle of World War II, and that's where he works. So her father is also a small-time Nazi spy. So Anna wants to help. She's gotten to an age where she really wants to do something. So she begins to seek out information for her father, Simon, to pass along to his contact. So that's the whole first chapter. They're really setting up Anna and her father. And um, you don't know this at the time when you're reading this, but Anna ends up becoming a secondary character. And really the primary, the main character, is introduced at the very beginning of chapter two. And that's Hank Fayette. So Hank Fayette is uh, seaman second class. He's in the Navy. He is uh, on leave right now, and he's in New York City for the first time in his life. And Hank is really kind of an odd sort of character for a 1942 novel. He's very matter-of-fact about his homosexuality, which is, I'm sure, was unheard of back then. But he also is realistic enough to know that he's probably going to go home after the war and try to find a woman to get married to. But in the meantime, he's very open about being gay to his shipmates. He's open to almost anybody that even asks um, in passing. So I found that to be really fascinating and also one of the things that I love about historical fiction is that authors can really take chances with historical fictions and kind of spin things a little bit differently because it's not nonfiction, it's it's fiction. So I love the fact that Hank was written in, in this way. I felt like it was a very fresh kind of take on a queer character from the 1940s. So in the very beginning Hank of the chapter, Hank finds out that there's an adult movie theater in New York City that a uh, a number of uh, men go to to find sex. And so he goes there, um, you know, all the other sailors are going to find girls and he wants to find some men to have fun with. So he goes there. And of course, because it's 1942 and it's the middle of World War II, he gets caught up in a raid, unfortunately. So uh, he's very quickly headed to being 
dishonorably discharged and sent to a mental hospital for God knows what kind of barbaric treatment that they would have back then, when uh, suddenly an intelligence officer finds out about his arrest, and the intelligence officer has been working on a tip that there may be Nazi spies patronizing a male brothel in Lower Manhattan. (laughs) So I don't know (laughs) if I have to read that again, but like it just... That's the whole premise of the story is that Hank ends up working in a male brothel to save himself from being dishonorably discharged from the army. Of course, the intelligence people are using Hank and they are going to throw him away as soon as this assignment is done. But for the time being, they want him to spy for them and they want him to use himself as bait to sleep with potentially Nazi spies and find information. So Hank reluctantly agrees, mainly, it's interesting, mainly because he's patriotic and he also thinks that it would be really fun to be able to have sex all the time. Um, Obviously, he doesn't really understand the concept of prostitution because it's not, most of the time, it's not fun sex. So um, it's work. And you know what? Even a hot Nazi, I'd have a hard time having sex with. I know. Tell me about it. So the intelligence officer, whose um, name is Mason. Oh, I'm sorry. And so I'm I, I, back up for a second. So I am. Um, I, this is the first quote I'm going to read. I just have a couple quotes from the book, but I love to um, sort of give everyone the flavor of the author. So this is the first quote. Mason, who's the intelligence officer, Mason leaned back in his chair again, folded his arms across his chest, and gloriously sighed. The beauty of it: a bordello for inverts and spies release the sexual desires a man has to keep hidden, and all his other secrets come tumbling out after. So at this point, um, yeah, his writing is just really beautiful, and it just, um, and it works really well. So I have to say that I feel like in anybody else's hands, this novel could have very easily become a pulp novel and really campy. But Bram, he really, he really has written a literary spy thriller. And and he also balances a lot of different types of material. So there's a lot of humor in the book. Um, there's tons of suspense. As I mentioned, it's obviously historical fiction. And there's tragedy. So it's just a hugely compelling read. Um, there's a lot of funny moments. But there's, of course, because it's the war, um, there's a lot of tragedy as well. So the woman that runs the brothel, her name is Mrs. Bosch. She's really um, no, no, no way else to describe her. She's an opportunist. She realizes that if she helps the military intelligence that is trying to get Hank into her brothel, that they'll make sure that her brothel doesn't get shut down. So she doesn't really care about helping um, the intelligence community in America. All she cares about is keeping her food on her table. And then the other uh, major character in the brothel is a young man named Juke. And he is an African-American who is the only person at the brothel who's not a prostitute. So he is really Mrs. Bosch's right-hand man. He lives there at the brothel. Um, and of course, because it's 1942, there's a lot of racism that Jake has to, that Juke has to endure. But he is a very strong and smart um, young man. And so he always manages to stay one step ahead of the bigots. Juke and Hank end up having a really complicated friendship. Hank likes Juke um, and 
at some point you realize that Hank is actually attracted to Juke, but as a Southerner, Hank has his own set of prejudices that he's being been raised with. So, and Juke actually feels similarly to Hank. Like Juke is also attracted to Hank as Hank is attracted to Juke, but he thinks that he's a stupid white hick. So it's kind of an interesting dynamic because Bram doesn't really shy away from the bigotry and prejudice, but he also, if because we're able to hear their internal dialogue that's going inside their heads, you're able to see that it's compl- things are complicated. I have just one more quote here. So this is a quote about uh, Hank hanging out with Juke when he first gets there. So Hank went to Juke now and then when he w- wanted a little conversation or not conversation, really, but the shared noise that passed for company with Hank when he was lonely. He had learned to like the boy's noise. Funny thing, maybe because of the color line between them, like a good safe wall. Hank found Juke to be the one soul here he really felt like trusting. So he sort of acknowledges in his own head that there's this wall between them because of their the difference in the color of their skin. But then he also, in the next breath, says that Juke is really the only person he could ever imagine trusting in this whole brothel because he really is alone in the brothel. No one else knows he's a spy. So meanwhile, then they jump back to Anna and Anna meets Blair, which is this guy that she meets and she ends up falling in love with him. Blair, again, for lack of a better way to describe him, is really kind of an upper class idiot. He's never been very good at doing anything, but he's really arrogant. Um, It sounds like uh, if you could think of who that might sound like it probably Blair is probably pretty close to being one of the uh, former president's sons, if you can imagine that. So I just I don't like to use the name, but we'll just keep it at that. Thank you. (laughs) So Blair falls for Anna as well, and he divides decides to devote his entire free time um, because he's not been he wasn't able to go into the army. So he spends all of his free time trying to get information so Anna's father can pass it along. I feel like he represents a lot of privileged white people who can be against their own country and their government because they continue to have their own personal freedoms because of their family background and because of wealth. So I think he's actually a really good character to have in here because there are there's always, no matter what time period we're, we're in, there's always a number of people that are like that. They're above the law and they can do and say what they want to because they have the money and the family contacts for that. There's also a, an officer assigned to be Hank's contact. He and Hank end up having also having a very complicated friendship. Uh, I, I don't even know if I'd call it a friendship, but a working friendship. So at first, Eric feels sorry for Hank. He thinks that he's sort of a simpleton because of his ease at talking about his sexuality. But as the book progresses, Eric really understands um, Hank and his respect for him really deepens. And he really starts to see Hank as a three-dimensional human being. In the very beginning, they really, all the military people treat Hank just like he is a piece of meat. They're just throwing him in there. They're going to use him. And then they're going to send him off to the insane asylum after that. And then, so then I do have just one more quick quote from Chris's writing that I think is really fun. It's just one sentence, but it really grabbed me from the very beginning of the book. That Mongo skyscraper with the rounded corners stood at the far end of the street like a good idea. And I've read that and I was like, (laughs) okay. Um, So Hold Tight's got tons of suspense. Um, As I mentioned, it's a historical novel. It's got these seemingly separate threads of Hank's story as the primary and Anna's story as the secondary. But of course, like any good novel and any good story, they really intersect in very bizarre and um, fascinating ways. There's several pivotal scenes uh, throughout the second half of the book that are really incredible. 
and they really bump up that whole concept of of the book being a thriller. Um, you get absorbed completely in the first event, and then that there's a huge chase scene towards the end that's just just fantastic. So I you know I read this book for the first time, and then I was rereading it a second time to prepare for the review, and I just feel like. Hank Fayette is the kind of character that really, really stays with you. I mean, even when I was rereading it and I had forgotten some parts of the book, I really still, still always remembered Hank. I feel like Bram does a really amazing job, and I've actually told him this in person. I said that um, out of the out of all of his novels, I really feel like Hold Tight really screams for an adaptation. He just writes Hank in a way that you just can't forget him. He's such an interesting complicated um and just a just a really decent human being that's just caught up in this world of people that are just using each other to get information and of course to try to win the war so i really hope that there's a streaming service out there that might be willing to uh pick up this book at some point and uh do an adaptation because I just think it would be really fun. And when you throw in the fact of a you know a male brothel in the 1940s, it's outrageous enough to really grab people's attention. So I just can't can't tell you enough how much I love this book, and I'm I'm thrilled to bring it to the show because um, it's a real departure for me from everything that I've been reviewing before. So thanks, Brad. It grabs my attention. I mean, this sounds really compelling, and we haven't had as many suspense novels on this show as I would like. And we certainly haven't had as many thrillers. Right. In fact, Dharma Keller, I'm sure, in fact, I shouldn't even say it. Dharma Keller comes most to mind and I, I'm sure we've had other thrillers, but mm-hmm. I don't know if there aren't as many queer thrillers or uh, they just aren't raising their hand out there. I don't know which of the two. I'm glad you brought up a thriller. It also just sounds, crime novels tend to be, to a lot of people, fluff. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Not every writer is trying to change the world. Not every TV show is trying to change the world. Sometimes you just want to entertain. Sure. And that's quite all right. This one sounds like it's entertaining and deep. Yeah. Yeah. At the same time. It really does. It really is. It really is. There's a lot of story there that goes beyond the thriller. It sounds like if you took the whole thriller aspect out of it, you still have a lot of psychological story there. Oh, my God. Because you have the whole idea of the woman that runs the brothel. And then you have all the guys that are secondary characters that are in the brothel. They all have... There's like three or four of them that have their moments where you, you really see them as fully realized characters. And, you know, they're... For whatever reason, they're either lazy and they're using their bodies to make money or they're stuck because it's wartime. And there's, you know, there's reasons for everyone not being, you know, Hank's the only one that's enlisted in the brothel and the rest of them are all for whatever reason they didn't, they weren't able to go. And so, yeah, there's, and and the whole thing with Anna and her father, because they're kind of good people um, when not, they're not good people, but they present themselves as good people. But, you know, they're, they're on the other side, which is crazy. It never, you know, I, I, my parents were, uh, my dad was in World War II and my parents, um, you know, were young people during that whole war. And I've never once thought about there being spies here in the country like, but of course there were, there were spies everywhere. And then you had the whole racism aspect too. Yes. Yes. Doesn't sound like that was just a tossed away either. It sounds like the way you described it, it sounds like it gets a little more in depth into the thought process. Yeah, he really does. Because I I feel like, especially the the relationship with between Hank and Juke is really, it's complicated and it's psychological in in the sense that you hear what they're thinking, not just what they're saying. So, um, you hear the fact that they're both sort of, uh, 
there's contradictions between what they how they were raised and how they feel and that's and I think that's that's a good thing you know it's a good thing yeah because it's easy to write a bigot and these sound like yeah. individuals that have preconceived notions just based on where they grew up yeah yeah that's much harder to write I mean I'm not giving anything away from the book but I talked a little bit about Blair the guy that was with Anna and Blair is you know he is somebody who's really he's homophobic he's a misogynist he's a bigot um, he's racist. And so, you know, he's... He must be a Republican. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's good to have one character that you can kind of throw all that at. But everybody else is kind of conflicted because, you know, the the um, the handler, uh, Eric, who really thinks of Hank as being sort of repulsive in the beginning, really warms up to him because he realizes that this guy is really putting his life on the line. And he's not just a stupid hick like so many people think he is. So, yeah, really great. Sounds like a great one. Yeah. And with my Republican joke, I think uh, all two of the log cabin Republicans that listen to the show are, are no longer going <laughs> to in, tune in. So, oh, said, there goes the ratings. Anyway. <laughs> a Homicon-free podcast. That's what we want. <laughs> well, thanks. Sounds great. And we'll talk to you in September. Sounds great. Thanks so much, Brad. Take care. You enjoy queer writers of crime? Let others know with a review. It helps build an audience and introduce more people to queer crime fiction. Apple and iTunes are where most people search for new shows, but if you don't use either, other apps that allow reviews include Podcast Addict, Overcast, and Spotify. Wherever you listen to podcasts, help spread the word to tune in to queer writers of crime.